Welcome, Capital Racers. My friend Prince and I dove into altruistic business models and what it's like to come up as a young man in business. We also explored joint venture investor compliance within securities law. Are you guys ready to race? Shout out to Invest Next, our newest official sponsor on the Capital Racers show. Did you know Legacy Acquisitions has 18 Build Your Legacy master classes online with mega syndicators like Neil Bauer and Richard Wilson? Most people will not have access to these, but you can access them using the link in the show notes. With that, it's Capital Razor Show episode 283, and it starts now. Rock and roll, I got Prince Aboka on the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, my friend. How the heck are you? It's another day in paradise, man. <laughs> Very cool. Capital Razor Show season three, powered by Pitch Decks and our friends at Richard Wilson's Family Office Club. So really excited to dive in. I met Prince four years ago, I believe, in 2018 or so, maybe five years ago, at Jeff Fagan's 2% Club, which is a mindset, kind of rah-rah. It's based in a lot of the principles of T. Harv Ecker and the Millionaire Mind book. So that was really cool hanging out with you. We got to meet and spend time with my wife a little bit and meet a bunch of other people there. Very excited to have you on the show, man. But let's dive in. So for the audience that has never met you, Prince, I know that you're hanging out at the Family Office Club. I see you there occasionally. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into real estate and private equity and all of this other capital raising stuff that you're involved with. That's terrific. Yeah, we we met back in, I think it was 2019 during the when Jeff Fagan was doing the 2% Club. But to answer your question, so I started my company, Pillar Housing, in 2016 when I was in college. I was actually like my last year in college. I realized what it was that I wanted to do. And I started off as a wholesaler, but then as time elapsed, I restructured the company to be more of a private equity company. So today, what we focus on is we acquire real estate buildings, so residential or commercial, that we then lease out to these nonprofits, these home health companies for long-term cash flow. How did you get into that? What led you in that direction? Oh, that's a terrific question. So we, family friend. So a lady who used to babysit my sister and I when we were kids, she had actually had been operating group homes for the past 18 years. She was a close family friend, still is to this day. She was talking to my dad. This was in 2020. This was like the week of March 14th, like right before the pandemic was the pandemic and everything got shut down. She had reached out to my dad. She was just, you know, they're just catching up after a long time. And then she told him how she just needed more space because her business was just growing. It was mushrooming out. And my dad, him being my dad, he kind of basically, he voluntold me in a way. He was just like, my son's going to help you out. Like he just voluntold me. And then he called me after that conversation he had with her to let me know, hey, remember X, Y, and Z? I'm like, yeah, the lady used to babysit me and me and my sister. And, and he's like, yeah, well, you're going to help her out. What do you mean? It's like she has a business, she needs help finding housing, and you're in the housing business. So you're going to lease your next building to her. And I was just like, off the top of my head, it was just like, nah, that's not what we do. You know, at the time we were actually acquiring buildings to lease out to families who weren't able to qualify for mortgages. So we were doing like a rent to own model lease options and helping them out in a way for second chance housing in a way affordable housing to be putting them into houses they could actually afford. That was where, where my focus was at the time. And when he had brought that up, it was like, ah, nah. But so, so I said, no, I kind of just left it at that. We got off the phone and probably a couple hours later, like the thought just stuck in the back of my head. Like 
there might be something there. So, you know, after thinking about it for a bit, I called him back same day, a couple hours later, called him back, said, hey, let's have that meeting. Let me hear her out at least. That same week, so the following day, if not the following Tuesday. So the conversation I had with my dad was Sunday. Then we set up the meeting for a Tuesday. So a couple of days later, had the meeting with, with the family friend. And she literally just like broke down the business down to like why she's having trouble finding housing. And what I found in this industry was that most investors, once they hear the term group home, they run for the hill. They don't even want to work with, they don't care what kind of group home it is. They generally just, it was borderline discrimination at, at that point, mainly just because of the kind of business that was being operated. Banks didn't want to lend to them. Investors didn't want to invest with them. So they were like trying to get, at that time, operators, service providers had to get creative on how they were going to expand, how they were going to acquire these houses, whether it was finding landlords like us to work with, or if they just had to buy their properties all cash. At that time, that was a bit less, it was scarce to find an investor that wanted to, to work with them. So you mentioned before you were finding properties and leasing them out before you got into partnership with this lady. Tell me about that process. How are you acquiring these? And who is we? Who is the partnership? How did you build that partnership? Oh, yeah. Great question. So we would do uh, joint ventures with our investors. Who's we? Like, so me and, and the investor that we were partnering with at the time, I used we back then it was really just me. Now I have a whole team that that I work with. So I, I'm so used to using the word we. So back then it was really just me. I was doing literally everything from accounting, property acquisitions, everything. So me and this investor, we had partnered together to, to acquire these homes for this purpose. Ironically enough, at that time, I actually was about to return his money because I didn't think that we could make the numbers work. I just like where the rents were at the time versus where property prices were at the time. I was just like, I don't know if this could work. And I was fairly like fresh to this whole thing too. So it was so I would have much rather, given my history, my background, and everything I experienced in the years prior, I would have much rather just returned his money and been able to go to sleep easily at night than like struggling to make ends meet. And then my dad had called literally the day before I was going to call the investor to return his funds. Crazy. Okay. So you're taking down these properties with the intent to lease them out. Group homes. You mentioned that Interestingly enough, when we were taking down fourplexes, me and my partner Ivan back in the 2010 era, right after the crash, we actually contemplated, hey, let's take some of these and then turn them into some kind of a group home. Or So we looked at assisted living. That was kind of like a crazy licensing process. But you can kind of set up these situations where it's like a halfway house or something like that, where each room can be rented out. And then instead of getting, let's just say $1,000 for a duplex or one half of the duplex, you can turn that into 4000 because of the two bedrooms, you put four people in each bedroom and then have some kind of facility that runs and make sure that things are in order. But all of a sudden, you're collecting a lot more rent. And as active investors, we're looking at how much more cash flow that would bring. And we're like, damn, this is something to explore. But I can definitely understand from a passive or or an investor perspective of like, oh, I don't want to be involved with that business. I want something straightforward and and really dry cut so that I understand that there's not all kinds of weirdness that happens at my properties and I don't want to be associated to that at all. There's a lot to that actually. And 
And the way we've discovered is the best route for us and, and our investors have been simply like looking for the licensed group homes. Because there's, first off, there's just a ton of licenses. And I, I didn't even break that down in the beginning. You have, like you had mentioned, the halfway houses, the sober living homes, the assisted living facilities, the nursing homes, there's housing for veterans, there's housing for foster kids, orphans. We've even had the pleasure of speaking with several operators, service providers who deal with children and women who have been sexually trafficked, human yeah, trafficking. Yeah. So there's like a whole myriad of different licenses and different demographics for people to serve just in this space alone. So it's, I like to say every day we, I wake up, I get the beautiful opportunity to mix capitalism with altruism. Yes. So I want to bring up topic because I, I met this lady, Nicole, who her whole deal was she was in the built to rent space and she wanted specifically the reason that she got into it was because she wanted to provide homes for women who had lost their husbands in war or in, you know, mm. so like these married couples, the, the man would go off to war and then they would die. And then the woman would have no place to live or an adverse situation, stress situation, and she would provide them housing. And I was looking at her business model and I'm like, that is a very altruistic system, but like, how are you going to make money doing this? Is this a charity or is this a business? And you have to kind of balance because if you're doing things and trying to raise capital from investors that have money and want to make money, like you're either going to have to pitch them on why it makes sense to be altruistic, which is a very different capital raise than somebody who's more focused on creating generational wealth versus the whole, I'm just here to help people. But you can figure out the right balance, but it's a question that I think some entrepreneurs that want to be, or people that want to be entrepreneurs, but their focus is on the charity and the altruism, they can't make money doing it. So for you, you've been able to find the right balance. Is that correct so far? Oh, Yeah. With our model and, and how we do things, we actually have a very cash flow centric approach to to investing. We still operate as though we are we're investors, landlords. It's just now we have we just have a different resident base. So that's the capital side. On the altruistic side, we're also dealing with with operators, service providers who they're not investors. They're not out here trying to make a return on their investment. Instead, they're of the mindset of they were prior medical professional, nurses, worked in a hospice, worked in a group home, and they just want to continue to like help people get back on their feet. At least the ones we work with. Obviously, you have bad apples, people who are just in it to, who just want to make the money because they know they can make good money. But then there's the ones that we work with are the ones whom they specifically really just want to serve the community. So how do you target and find people that have that kind of altruistic mentality? That's beautiful. So our business has only grown word of mouth. We don't market. We don't go out into the marketplace, say, here we are. This is what we do. It really just started off with serving the one, serving that family friend who had then referred someone over to us. And then that person had referred someone over to us. And that's actually been the, the name of the entire case, even with our entire portfolio. I think of, of each client that we've served, we've probably only had one, like one solid case where it was like, we probably won't do this again with these person. Like, like, well, other than that, most of these, most of our clients, they're solid. They do everything above board. They go over and beyond just to make sure they have their proper licensing in place and make sure they get the proper insurances in place. It's, we're in a blessed position. 
Okay, cool. I want to dive into the organizational chart of your company. You mentioned that you're working with a lot more people, whereas in the beginning you were doing everything yourself. So who's on the team? How do you guys find and acquire these properties that you lease out to these distressed residents? So a two-part question is, who's the team? And then how do we find the properties? Yeah. So to go to the first part, so the team, we have obviously myself, founder, principal of Pillar Housing, and I'm just going through the advisory board. So we have two of our investors, a gentleman named TJ and a gentleman named Dave. Dave was actually our very first investor. And I, I like having the investors on the advisory board because I want to get their perspective on things as it comes. One of them is, is our larger investor. He has several facilities with us, while the other one, he's very well experienced. Both of them have decades-long experience just investing in general, not just in real estate. From there, we have Oscar, who is on our acquisitions team. He's a licensed agent and also an investor. And he also separately owns hundreds of houses as well, just houses, rental portfolios in different states. So his insights are very invaluable. We have a gentleman named Randy, who is on our insurance team. He helps make sure that we have the proper insurances in place. We have Brian, who's on our lending team. He's a licensed mortgage broker. He helps us get all the best debt on our properties. And then we have Mrs. Wright, Becky. She's on our accounting. She helps us with the accounting, the taxes, the bookkeeping, making sure our investors are taken care of. We have Manny, who's a project manager. So he helps us with like handling all of the maintenance, things like that on the properties, getting everything buttoned up and, and ready for, for our clients. And then we got a couple of attorneys who didn't want to be, be listed. <laughs> for... mm. Okay, so tell me about the scaling into this organization, right? Because I think a lot of syndicators and a lot of people that are entrepreneurs, they kind of get this mindset of like, I want to invest in real estate. And once they become active and start scaling, then they're bringing on employees and partners and they've never managed employees or partners and put together an infrastructure to have everything organized. A lot of people are running into that or have run into that along the process. What has that been like for you? Great question. So I don't know if people are going to listen to this solely on the on the podcast or on YouTube, but like I'm a fairly young guy. I'm 27 years old, still in my 20s, and I know I don't know everything. And I knew that from a young age, especially starting off. So I, I am a very big believer of just getting in like being aligned with people who are just smarter than you and have decades long experience over you. So for our entire team, like everyone's an expert at what they do. Everyone's an expert at what they do. It's, it's an honor to even be working with them, honestly. Very fascinating. Okay, cool. So then tell me about the way that your infrastructure works in terms of getting investors their money back. If somebody was to invest with you, how do they make their money? How is it set up? Is it a syndication? Is it a joint venture? When does an investor come and want to work with you? What does that look like for them? All of our projects are joint ventures. We don't pull funds together. And what I found in that whole process has been like the investors that we work with, they love the exclusivity of knowing that this is my project or these are my projects. I'm not just one out of 20 investors that are that are in this pool or this fund or this syndication, but this is my thing. And on top of that, they speak directly to me. That's one piece to it. And it's a whole process actually. So before we even work with an investor, we got to make sure that we're aligned in our focus. If you were an investor in one of our projects, we would have several 
well, at least one major conversation and several sub conversations, we're just really identifying like, who is Ruben as an investor? What is he looking for? What are the areas that make him feel safe? What are the areas that make him feel like he's investing in something that's secure? How long is he trying to invest for? Like, is this something that he's trying to pass down to his next of kin, to his heirs? Or is this something that, oh, I just want my money back next week? Is this an investment that you're going to be living off of these funds? Or is this something where you don't really need the funds? You know, we just hold on to distributions and we'll send them to you on an annual basis or a semi-annual basis. We really tailor each investment to the needs of the investor is what I'm trying to say. Even down to like the tax benefits, like everything. We really do our best to make sure that we're serving the investor at their core needs. Okay. And then the word investor can sound like people are passive, but you mentioned that everything is joint venture. So it might understand that everybody that comes in has a partnership role within the organization that you guys have on each deal. It's still a setup where it's, it's more of a done for you kind of setup where they are passive. So that can be a little bit dangerous. I don't know if we should dive too far into this and maybe we need to expose this, right? Because I think a lot of people dabble with done for you. And as soon as somebody becomes passive, unless they're in a deal where they have a note or they're on the title of the property, that can be considered passive, which is a violation of securities. So is this something that you spend time navigating or how do you prevent yourself from getting a true passive investor, because at that point, it would be considered a syndication or a security. So everyone that that we work with is in our sphere of influence. That's the number one thing. And two, we have them play a role where they do work with us in the beginning when it comes towards like the acquisition of the property, making sure that everything falls in line with, again, their needs. But they're also in a situation where like on the day-to-day operations, most of that's just our team handling that, you know, when it comes to like putting a project together, making sure that we're working with the right service providers, right residents, doing all that vetting process. So these guys have an ongoing participation in the deal. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Every decision that we make on a They're property. involved with that? Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Like we speak to them, like, especially on the major decisions, like if it's a liquidation event or if it's yes. something we're buying. We don't just like make a decision and, and then they find out months no, this, later. No, this, like is, we... this is such a great topic because back in the day when we were doing joint venture fourplexes, the money partners wouldn't just have us run everything and find the property and tenant occupy it. They would actually have one of the most important parts of their duty was the liquidation, right? They are the ones that sign off of it's time to sell this. Yep. And they have the power to decide yes or no. And who the, for example, the broker or the agent is and who they want to work with. So that actually does go into partnership. So, but for the audience that's listening in, you got to be very careful about navigating it correctly, like the way Prince is doing to make sure that you're not stepping afoul of securities laws. And it sounds like you guys have a nice system in place for that. Even deeper than that, if, if you don't mind, I wanted to add, like, this is the exact reason why we have those conversations in the beginning to make sure that we're actually aligned. Because when it comes to these kinds of major decisions, you want to make sure that you and your partner like have similar values. I've been in situations where that's not the case and it's just like a constant butting of the heads or, or someone decides that they want to use the funds to do something other than what we agreed that the funds were going to be used for. Like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, so it's... Yeah, 
This is perfect. It reminds me of my friend Jerome Myers, who is a big proponent of JV over syndication. He likes to have people that he can, that he's partnered with, that he can have the conversation of, hey, we have a pregnant lady in one of our units and she's struggling. But he, according to him, a syndicator may say, hey, we need to be collecting rent on this. And they have to operate in the best interest of the passive investors. Whereas a JV, they're kind of like, hey, let's have a discussion. Should we kick out the lady? Obviously, the answer is no. If they're pregnant and distressed, let's figure out a way to help them. And when you're a JV, you have those conversations where you're, it's a lot more personal. You have power, decision-making, more control versus a limited partner who doesn't have that decision-making capacity. So JVs from that perspective is a great route that a lot of people like, not to mention it's typically a lot more profitable than a syndication. Anything to add on that? Agreed. No, and that's actually why we have those two investors on our advisory board because they also share, share their insights regarding this as well. Okay, cool. So you mentioned, which is something I haven't heard a lot of occasionally, All of my partners come in from word of mouth referrals. We don't do marketing. That doesn't sound like an effective capital raising strategy for most people, but it can definitely work depending on what you're trying to do. Is there anything on the capital raising side or partnership creation side for new JV capital sources and partners that participate with you that you're doing to acquire more? Or is it just 100% referrals and word of mouth? To grasp onto a piece of that question. So- when I mentioned that our business has only grown word of mouth, that was actually on, I was more so referencing the resident side, the service provider side, but that has also transferred over on the investor side too. Cause at this point, a lot of our new capital that comes on board is referrals from our current investors. So that's, that's actually been quite a blessing on top of that, of course, kind of areas where you and I have met, but like going to networking events, mm-hmm building relationships with people and and finding, again, finding those people whom you believe that you'd be aligned with has actually been quite key to continuing to grow, grow our operation and meet new investors. So when you go to the family office club or other networking events, you're not going there specifically seeking capital. You're out there establishing relationships with people that you could potentially partner with and just sharing what you do to see if you can find people that are aligned. That's actually like, believe it or not, that's the second reason why I go. The first reason I go is more so because I want to learn. Like, I really want to learn like how these these ultra wealthy families, control isn't the word, but like how they manage all of that amongst their family members. I find that so fascinating. Once you you come to like a certain level of wealth where it's kind of just like, how do you manage? Look, a family dynamic is already hard enough, but now you're adding like, millions and millions of dollars and, and just huge swaths of wealth in, on top of that. So it's like, how do, they, how do they manage that? How do they think five generations out and mm. still get things in place? That has always been fascinating to me, even since I was a kid. And now it's just like, oh, they have a whole club for this. I, I definitely, these are the circles that I want to I wanna learn from. Yeah, and then of course, of- you know, doing what we do. There's a ton of people that have different mindsets in there, right? So some people are of the mindset of wealth and capital preservation and other people, you can get intense in there where people have unique strategies using Delaware statutory or offshore trusts. And 
know, asset protection strategies and also even interesting products that you hear about, like infinite banking concepts that you hear JCPenney and Walt Disney use these kind of infinite banking projects to create wealth and preserve wealth and grow it in unique ways while borrowing from themselves. And all these different things are just absolutely fascinating. And then there's obviously some real estate people and some people that are investing in IPOs and other kinds of unique offerings that aren't real estate where they can take a little portion of their money that they've accumulated and put it into a high risk, high return kind of situation. And they're okay if they lose all their money because they know that if they hit on one, they can like 100x their money within a six month period of time. So it's fascinating spending time with the family office club and, and seeing how these people do and what they do with their time. Like there's like race car drivers and people that have accumulated all this wealth and doing unique hobbies. And you see them living the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And by surrounding yourself with them, you become more like them, right? So there's some of them, you would shake their hands. You would not know you're shaking hands with a billionaire. There's those who are are living the high life and and they're driving around in Lambos and things like that. But then you got the ones who you know, they're still driving in that Toyota Corolla or whatever. Now, granted, it's it's new, but they're not flashy at all. Like you, you could be speaking to a Gen three person who's just deep into the the wealth spectrum, and it's like, yeah, that that inspires me. Actually, believe it or not, that that's actually what inspires me. Good stuff, man. Very cool. All right, let's dive into the lightning round. My first question to you is, what is the best vacation you've ever taken? Last year, my dad likes to do these things where he just forces me to, <laughs> he likes to volunteer me and, and, and force me to go on trips. So, so last year we went on a cruise. We went to Honduras, Cozumel, Mexico, and third country that I'm forgetting right now. It was a situation where I did not want to go on a cruise. We were growing so rapidly at that time, like, my mindset was on, was just working, working, working. And he was like, hey, son, we're going on a cruise. I already got your ticket. <laughs> oh, awesome. And so it was probably about a one week cruise and it took me until day number four to finally like really accept that I'm here. Like just, just be here in the moment. Cause the first four days I'm like, the Wi-Fi that we paid for wasn't working. Like, what about the emails? What about, what if someone's trying to call me or get a hold of me? And then finally it was just like, Surrender. Screw it. No, I'm here. Let me let me just enjoy this. And it was the best. The moment I did that, it was just like, like it was just the best. That's good stuff. All right, favorite book of any kind? The first one that came to mind though, when you asked that question was As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Mm. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. I do have that book as well. I still haven't yet to read it though. How much of your success do you attribute to mindset? All of it. That's great. I think it's a big thing. People dabble with like, oh, it's 80% mindsets or psychology and 20% strategy. I do believe that if you have the right mindset and are committed to getting on the moon, there's multiple ways that you can get to the moon. So the mechanism is not as important as the mindset because once you're committed, you truly have an intention to do something, yep. you will figure out a mechanism to do it and the strategy is not important. How long do you want to live? As long as it takes for me to fulfill all the purposes that I've been given. Interesting. Best way to raise capital from your perspective? Short answer on this. Sphere of influence. That's good. Can you tell me about a moment that changed the trajectory of your life? 2017, I was on the verge of lowest point of my life. And I was on the verge of almost taking my life because I was in a situation where I had, I had partnered with the wrong people, had to deal with embezzlement of funds, 
And I had to make the hard calls to the people who had who had entrusted me with those funds to invest in. And hardest call I, I ever made, lowest point in my life, and I was literally at a point where I was gonna go into a garage and turn on the car and go to sleep. And and that was the story. And it ended up being a situation where I did go into the garage, I did fall asleep, but I didn't turn on the car. And I was playing music before I went to sleep. And I woke up to, it was on SoundCloud. So when your playlist is over on SoundCloud, it just like plays suggested audios for you. And the suggested audio that I woke up to was Napoleon Hill's like 12 or 17 principles of success. And it was principle number three, which was talking about faith. And I woke up to that and I just cried. Like that was the moment where I was like, I don't care what it's gonna take, but I'm gonna make everything whole. That's like, a crazy story. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What is the most desirable trait that a real estate investor can possess? Perseverance. Agreed. That one's really important. What do you love best about Muay Thai, Krav Maga, and mixed martial arts? Is the discipline, man. I love the idea of being able, like, you could be anywhere on this map and you just have that confidence of knowing, like, I got myself. Like, I have that presence of mind to just do what's needed consistent discipline of training and learning something new about yourself, your physicality, your body. Yeah, I, I love every aspect of it. And then the last part to that question is, you just never know who God's gonna call you to protect one day. So you just be ready. Fascinating. Do your spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? Besides that question that you asked before about how much does mindset attribute to success, I would say like spirituality and faith is the bigger portion of that like if not all of it it's it's all of it like very huge majority have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near-death experience well you talked about one near-death experience yeah i mean shoot every day i wake up <laughs> that's, that's the answer i'm always seeking right because because a lot of people think that life itself is not a miracle and the miracles only happen to like ascended masters but the reality is, is that we're going around through space on this blue bubble and in mostly empty space, experiencing consciousness and doing things like having babies and creating consciousness, it's insane. And I think when people have the mindset of life itself is a miracle, it's a very different conversation than with like, no, I've never had a miracle. So, oh yeah, I a thousand percent agree. So this last question is brought to you by Shanna Amigo, one of our great listeners. She would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world? Just to inspire. If I could just inspire just that next, that one person who may be on a negative path and maybe I just said one thing or did one thing to help change that trajectory, like so many people did for me, that's it. Powerful. Awesome answers on the lightning round. I love that part of the show. Thanks for entertaining us. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review and shout out to my company, Legacy Acquisitions, and our sponsors, PitchDex.com. We have a powerful new capital raising coaching program in conjunction with the Family Office Club. Find out more at our website, capitalraisershow.com. Prince, how does the audience get a hold of you, my friend? I'm on IG, Facebook, LinkedIn, Prince Iboka. So first and last name. My Instagram is my first name, Prince underscore Isiomoba. Prince Isiomoba is a mix between my two middle names. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for the aspiring capital raiser, real estate investor, or person as they are scaling an entrepreneurial business on their journey? Stay disciplined. Don't give up. Dark days do come. They do. They are here. But at the same time, always push forward.
stay persevering, keep God close. You know how it goes. <laughs> this has been fantastic, dude. I love hanging out with you, dude. It's always great to see you at the Family Office Club. I'm glad that we have that as a platform where we can kick it together and talk shop about stuff. With that, man, I'm sure I'll see you at one of these next events, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Be honorable. Peace.